Hello, Graham Norton here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose on Virgin Radio. I'm back from my holidays and, oh, did we have a jam-packed show to kick things off. Let's see what we get up to. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. This is my jolly good friend. Maria. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Graham Norton. It's probably the last day I'll be able to come in without a coat. From no, the south coast. Yeah, you do. You look very summery and, and wafty. Wafty, yes. I'm I'm getting my waft out ready for winter. Yeah. No, and it's not winter. Let's go autumn first. Yes. Shall we go autumn? No, you look like you should be carrying a flat basket. You know one of those flat baskets for flowers? Oh, yeah. You should have one of those on your arm. With some flowers in it, maybe. <laughs> or a kitten. OK, I'll see what I can do later. But I'm going to the Hastings Seafood and Wine Festival later. All roads so lead I, to. I think my flower basket may get a little battered. <laughs> oh, yeah, and served with chips. <laughs> very good, Graham. Very, very good. Because it's a food and wine festival. I see what you mean. Yes. Very good. Uh, now, my dear, yes. were you watching the television last night? I was indeed. The return of Strictly. I mean, that always signals kind of autumn, doesn't it? because we get taken straight through to Christmas yes. with the trials and tribulations of six, no, 15 unsuspecting celebrities. Celebrities. I liked them meeting their dancers, most of whom they'd never seen before. I know. And they go, oh, I'm so glad right it's them, you. whoever they are. Yeah, it's too glad it's you, and it's a dancer that we don't know either. <laughs> Um, no, but... And also the dancers mustn't know who those people are. So, well, no. it's, just, so it's really just like a blind date. <laughs> it, but it, that was pre-recorded, I think, last night, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, no, I'm, do you want to know my tips for who's going to do okay, well? OK, I'm not a betting man, but go on. I know, but I want to know your tips as well for who's going to do well. Okay. I think um, Rose Ailing Ellis is going to do very well. Uh, she is the actor from EastEnders who also happens to be deaf and has a um, a signer on set with her. Did yes, you not they, see they, her? They, yes, I did. And we met the signer many, many times. They kept telling us there was a signer there. <laughs> I think the it's signer... Like, yeah, we get it. The, I'm not deaf. <laughs> the signer is going to get her own show at the end of well, this. Well, she looks a bit like Billy Piper. She does a little bit. Yeah, she's very right. the signer. And yeah. I think also Reese Stevenson is my tip for a top, um, who is a children's <laughs> presenter. Do you not know? <laughs> no, I mean... You're saying these names, and I'm thinking, which one was that? You watched it, I know Graham. I did watch it, but did I didn't... Did you pay attention? I didn't catch everyone's name. Oh. <laughs> but also, I loved John Waite, his first same-sex pairing. Well, no, it's not, because we had Nicola Adams last year. Yeah. But the first male same-sex pairing. John Waite is with... I can't remember the name of... Johannes. Oh, no. Johannes. No, Johannes, of course, Johannes. And I love that he said, if I'd have seen something like this when I was younger, it would have all been a lot easier. And I, that just made my heart well for him because you just think yes you yeah. need to see representation on television and I think they'll be really good Every, the men are so buff this year and I'm, I'm not saying, talking about professionals no one looked terrible when they did the group dance no one got, I mean that Dan man is he a breakfast person? <laughs> he is, Dan Walker. Very good, Greg. Yeah. You were paying attention. He looked like not great and there was another one that looked really they made them do nothing uh, oh, actually, I think um, Robert Webb. I'm not sure. Robert oh. Webb is God's gift to dancing, even though he did win Let's Dance for Comic Relief. Yes, but that was comedy, wasn't it? I mean, you can't keep doing comedy when you're training with a professional dancer. But dance obviously, you know the way the producers kind of shove them into a comedy role. So he is doing like Ra Ra Rasputin, Boney M next yes, week, yes. which, you know, you're not going to come out of that looking very serious, are you? <laughs> He's still going to go through this. I slightly took a gin. Greg Wise actor. Well, now, yes, he's going to be terrible as well. He'll oh, be out. why do you think he's going to be terrible? Oh, because didn't you see him dancing? 
Mm, yes. Yes, I thought not good. Uh, but I was took but, again because but, but, he arrived on a horse. But mm. no, but again, he didn't. He didn't I go. Did. I, I insist right. on All showing right. up on a horse. He wouldn't have wanted. I mean, that they brought him to the, the location of whatever it was, Pride and Prejudice, Sense, sense and Sensibility. Which one was it? Don't know which Don't know. one. One of them, and like he can't have wanted to be there. And of course, the dancer looking at him, glazed eyed thinking, "I don't know what any of this is about." But anyway, <laughs> or some, who you so, are? Some some man on a horse. <laughs> Can you dance? That's I'm I... so glad it's you and not the horse. <laughs> <laughs> which one's the celebrity? <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, she'd four left feet. <laughs> Very good. Um, I think if he takes himself too seriously, because sometimes actors like him. I mean, he's a very good actor, etc. I'm not dissing him, but I think um, he might take himself too seriously. And that's what, you know, the audience have strictly are very, they can spot fakery, can't they, at ten paces. But also, I think, you know, if he's in bottom two, it'll be such a... Sh- it's a, it's a I mean, that must be horrible. You know, he said he just said something about, oh, actors are used to being judged all the time. And you are used to being judged all the time, but not giving an actual score. <laughs> and, and not, I'm not standing there being told, oh, and by the way, no one phoned in for you either. Uh, so, like, it, I think it if is actors very were judged with a score, there'd be fewer bad actors about. <laughs> I think that would be a good thing. You know, if your score drops under this in the first two years of your life out of drama school, yeah. you have to give up. That's also, a little bit fascistic. Does though, anyone, so not does anyone fail drama school? Does anyone go, actually, no, you're not good? Or do, do are they just thrown out into the world to see if they can make a living? I think that, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, I didn't fail, and look at me. Well, I didn't fail, and look at me. <laughs> there you go. Okay. There. I think we've, I think we've reached that conclusion effortlessly. <laughs> Virgin Radio. Letters, please. Yes, here we go. <clears throat> First letter this morning. Dear Graham and Maria, a few years ago I had a long-distance relationship with a guy who I met through mutual friends. Due to the distance, we were never a couple. However, we both agreed that if we lived closer together, that we would be... Or would have been, perhaps. It never happened, and the sort of relationship fizzled out. A few years on, and I just can't seem to get him out of my head. Because of mutual friends we have, I often have to hear about what's going on in his life and any relationship he may be in, making it very difficult to move on. What's more is that every time I meet someone, I immediately compare them to him. I know it's never going to happen, but I just can't seem to move on. What do I do? And that is from Catherine in Glasgow. Well, Catherine in Glasgow, I think what you've done here is you've set yourself up a perfect fantasy of the lovely relationship that you didn't have. And it fizzled out, Catherine in Glasgow, it sort of fizzled out. It wasn't really ever a relationship. It never happened. And the sort of relationship fizzled out. So basically, it was a kind of friends with benefits, by the sounds, long distance. So him saying, uh, you both agreed that if you live closer together, that you would be a couple. That's the kind of thing people say <laughs> when they're safe in the knowledge that it's never going to happen. So... You know, you've got two choices here. Either move and go and see him and let it really fizzle out badly. And then you're, you know, you've upped sticks, you've changed your life, you've lost your job, you need a new house uh, for nothing. Or just tell yourself that had fizzled out. It's no use me comparing anyone to him because I didn't get to know him 
and probably he would or possibly he could you know wasn't the image in my fantasy after all and just get out there and meet lots more people because that is the way you get over someone yeah I mean I, I do feel for Catherine because these do things you? well yeah because these things can take so long if someone gets stuck in your head and you it's just oh it's difficult and I think you're right you've got to meet other people because if you're comparing ever to him one day you will meet someone and you'll compare him to him and he'll be better than him and you'll kind of think oh wow I'm so glad I met this person I love your positivity Graham I, I'm so glad well it's some guy I mean it's never going to happen. No, 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 yeah, no, no, no it, Catherine, it will. It will. It will. She is going to meet someone she prefers. And, but here's the thing, Catherine. You've got to... You can't just sit around thinking, oh, I, I wish I wasn't still kind of hung up on that guy. You've got to train yourself out of it. You know, and then you will get to a stage where you don't wake up thinking about him. You don't go to sleep thinking about him. You, you aren't comparing other people to him immediately. So you, I think you've got to trick yourself. You know, when you find him in your mind, think of something else. You, yeah. It, it, is it some sort of cognitive training thing? CBT. You, is that what it is? Cognitive behavioural therapy. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah I'm fully qualified. I see, qualified. you're tapping yeah. your head there, uh, Graham. Fully qualified. And uh, <laughs> let me tell you, Catherine. No, but seriously, I do think you've got to be a bit proactive yeah. about trying to, you know, because this happens at the end of relationships, breakups, people can end up stuck in a, a bad place for a very long time. And yes, they will get out of it. And there'll be a day, Catherine, you know, when you see a photograph of this guy and go, oh, I remember how incredible. Do you remember? I was besotted by him. Yeah, I, it took how me mad. It took me years to get over him. And you'll laugh and you'll think, well, how mad that ever happened. But you do need to push yourself to get to that place. Yeah, I mean, like I say, Catherine, there are two choices. You either go all for, you know, hell for leather to wherever he lives. And, you know, for, as an experiment, send him an email. I I'm thinking of moving to wherever he is, um, you know, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again. See how far that gets you, because I bet your sweet Bippy that he will write back saying, oh, no, 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 I'm married and now I have 14 children. You know, he will panic. So it's over. It's over. Let it go. Remember. Yeah. And just, you know meet others and stop comparing them let these people speak for themselves without thinking oh no I don't like the way his hair goes and also just indulge in a bit of self-discipline don't check his Instagram account don't go to his Facebook page don't ask your friends don't about ask how friends he, is. he is it just you know it's hard of course you're curious but you will never get past this unless you get past this so get past it that's our advice <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that's uh, good hope it's helpful Catherine in Glasgow I'm sure it is I'm sure it is uh, right Maria is uh, gearing up she's warming she's massaging a new letter come on here we go here we okay. go let's help <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, someone new has just started in my office and she's absolutely lovely. She's been with us for around two months now and while she's proactive and always offering to help, she always ends up asking me to assist her on extra tasks she's given and I'm finding that I'm actually doing most of the work. Everyone speaks so highly of her on our team, but I feel like they don't know how much work I'm putting in behind the scenes for projects that she is meant to be doing. She's praised lots by our line manager, and I'm very happy for her. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be sustainable for me to keep helping her as much as I do whilst maintaining my own workload. I feel guilty, because if I stop helping, helping her, it'll be a bit like pulling the rug from under her feet. But equally... If 
if I keep helping her, I don't want to resent her for claiming credit for the work I'm doing and lose credibility when I'm trying to juggle too much anyway. Exclamation mark. What should I do? Aaron in Highgate. Aaron in Highgate. You don't want to be resentful. That ship has sailed. You are resentful already. She's only been there two months. Why, Aaron in Highgate, did you decide to step in and take on a lot of her workload? You speak of her when you say, I don't want to pull the rug from under her feet. She has auditioned, no, not auditioned, interviewed for this job (laughs) and passed muster and has been given this job. So she obviously has capabilities to do this job. You have to stop helping her now. And by say by doing that, you're, you know, if you keep helping her, everyone's not going to win here. So you've got too much work. You just have to say very kindly, it doesn't have to be a hostile thing, oh, girl's name, I really <laughs> would love to help. But maybe use her actual name. But yeah. use her real name, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless she's called girl's name. Um, I'd really like to help, but I've just got so much on myself. And... You know, it's great that, you know, you're allowed to fail in this job. So do it to your best abilities. And if it's not quite right, you'll get fired. (laughs) And I'll be glad. But don't even say all that. Just say no. I know. but Can you help me with this? No. See, I think Aaron in Highgate is slightly worried because she's very, very popular with everyone. Everyone loves her. So this is annoying him because he's doing a lot of her stuff and, and she's taking the credit. So it's a kind of status thing as well. We don't want her to suddenly get above you, Aaron. So you just have to say exactly what Graham said. You just have to say, I can't. I'm really too busy. I've done it for the last eight weeks and I hoped that you'd get the hang of it. But now... I've been told to pull back slightly. Blame yeah. it on someone else. Your line manager. Well, also, you know, Aaron, you either you either enjoy being a martyr or you don't. I think there's an element of and that. And there's a bit of that that you kind of. But but there's no point being a martyr if nobody's noticing. If no one's noticing how hard you're working and how you're actually saving this popular girl the, all the time, then what's the point in doing it? So this letter is a way of kind of you know telling everyone look what look how hard i'm working look how amazing i am that i've helped this woman so uh so no one cares the only person who cares is you aaron even she doesn't care because when you say no she'll go to another desk and she'll yeah. ask someone else or she'll do or she'll learn how to do it because by asking you she's not learning or I mean- or she'll fail and no one will care because they like her <laughs> And you'll still feel resentful, Aaron. You'll still be furious. Just remember, Aaron, the phrase, no good turn goes unpunished. You've stepped in to help the popular girl and, you know, hoping a bit of popularity perhaps will rub off. And now it's making you resentful. Graham is right. No one likes a martyr because there is always a resentment bubbling underneath. Yeah. And I think the good thing is, the good thing is it's you're doing this at, you're pulling the plug at two months. Which, which is, is the right time. Yeah, which isn't too long. You haven't been there for a year kind of seething about this. So actually, Aaron, I think you've done the right thing to kind of be aware at two months too much. So just say no. Just say no. It's not in your job description to help this person and it's in her job description to do her job. <laughs> Yeah, do this. You have assisted her in her, you know, induction period, which can't be any longer than two months, and you're too busy. I think that you've got a great get-out clause. You've got so much work of your own. I'd love to help, but I can't. Yeah, and just watch. She will then go to someone else, and they'll help her for two months, and then. Is that because she's so popular? Because she's so popular, <laughs> people really like her girl's name insert here. <laughs> 
Marie McCurlin, have a lovely week. And you have a lovely week too, Graham Norton. And I will see you next weekend. Goodbye. Goodbye. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. Well, dear listeners, it is time for... Graham's Guide. Dire Responses, part one. Our first letter. Oh, I felt so sorry for Catherine's in Glasgow. A few years ago, she had a long-distance relationship with a guy, uh, met through friends, and it was great, but because it was long-distance, they were never really a couple. It wasn't really a relationship, even though they did both say, oh, if we were living in the same place, you know, I'd like this to be real, but, you know, it wasn't, and it fizzled out. Anyway, she can't get the guy out of her head. She just, Everyone she meets, she compares to him. And, of course, because she met him through mutual friends, she finds out what he's up to. And he's just always kind of in her head. And she wants to move on, but doesn't know how. Well, let's see what you thought. Bunty and Cheadle. Hurrah! I'm back. She's back. Uh, Bunty Cheadle says, forget it, sweetheart. Uh, there's many more fish in the sea that never came out of it. Leave Squid Vicious alone and concentrate on Billy Barnacle. He might be less romantic, but he'll stick right with you. I mean, Bunty and Cheadle, we could print that advice on a tea towel. I mean, that's excellent. Well done, you. Uh, Steve, if you read between the lines, Catherine is lonely and her friends are online friends. She's focusing on a real world relationship. It must be stressful for the guy. It's not about love. It's about loneliness. She needs more real-world friends. I I don't know if that's true, but maybe she does. Um, Michael's in Gravesend. Long-distance relationship lady. Distance doesn't matter if it's meant to be. It sounds like a cop-out from the bloke to me. Forget him and move on. Life's too short. And uh, Steve is in Wisbeach. Remember every time you wake up that it's a new day. Concentrate on the possible good things that might come your way and put yesterday in the bin. Time to wipe the slate clean. Uh, Well, I think that's very good advice. And my favourite bits of advice today are getting some Waitrose number one Canadian maple syrup. It's a mild, slightly buttery flavour made purely from the sweet sap of a Canadian maple tree. There you go. Uh, So uh, maple syrup, I'm going to send it to uh, Steve in Wisbeach. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Who will get the maple syrup for problem number two? We don't know yet. Uh, Now, this was from uh, Aaron in Highgate. And somebody new started in his office. Well, exciting. Uh, Two months ago. So lovely. Everyone's mad about this new woman. Uh, And she asked him to help her with some project, whatever. He did. And he put actually quite a lot of work into this. And then she got all the credit. And that's now happened a few times over the last two months. And he doesn't want to resent this woman. But equally, he's got to get on with his own work. I saw a whiff of martyrdom about Aaron. Anyway, uh, what should he uh, do? Because he doesn't want to, you know, drop this woman in it and make her look ridiculous and fail. But equally, he can't keep doing her job for her. Okay, Uh, Andy and Poppy, they're in North London. Sounds like, oh dear, Mm, brace yourself, Aaron. Sounds like this is all Aaron's fault. Sorry, Aaron. As the saying goes, teach a man to fish. (laughs) You know that saying, teach a man to fish. Yeah. Uh, No need to withdraw help completely. Just stop giving her the fish, i.e. doing her work for her without teaching her how she could complete her task by herself. Seems pretty simple to me. Okay, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, Gabby. Show the popular girl... Oh, I 
there's, there's so much going on in this office. Show the popular girl how to do, do, the, do the things and let your manager know you're having to do training as well as your job. So maybe a pay rise or training manager kind of thing. Turn the negative positive. Gamby, if you do that, you're just going, oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I can hear the eyes rolling from here. Yeah, if he asked for a training position because he's helping the popular girl. Uh, uh, Gemma, uh, good catch. Don't leave it too late to start saying no, otherwise it'll get awkward. See, I'm with you, Gemma. I think this is a good time to draw a line in the sand and kind of go, you know what? Happy to help. Now I'm not happy to help, so I'm not. I'm stopping. Uh, Billy's in Dundee. Aaron... <laughs> Aaron, I, I mustn't do the accent, but it's so tempting. Aaron needs to tell this girl to do one. See, that would be better in a Scottish accent, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. Uh, she's playing, she is playing the long game of popularity for future advancement at your expense. You have to nip this in the bud now. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, so basically, Aaron, I, I think it's the same as what myself and Maria were saying. Just say no. That's what you've got to do. Just say no. I said, who was the, it was uh, Nancy Reagan. That was her big way. Just say no. So yes, follow Nancy's advice. Just say no. The maple syrup, the Waitrose number one Canadian maple syrup. Uh, I'm going to send that to Andy and Poppy in North London for their very solid teach a man to fish advice. Oh. <laughs> It was clear as mud. Uh, we'll have, thank you for all your sponsors uh, today and yesterday to Graham's Guide. We'll have more problems next weekend. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. I am joined in the studio by all round good egg, fabulous woman. My, I just adore you. Miriam Margulies. Why are you here? You, I mean, it's so nice of you to come in. I come whenever you call, darling. <laughs> Oh, too loud. Yes, we're trying. We're doing some technical things. Uh, we're, we're wiring Miriam in. Uh, while they do that, let me just uh, tell everybody, this much is true, is Miriam's autobiography. And I, I talked to you on a podcast about it already. It is so good, Miriam. I mean, it's just terrific. Really, really, really good. And it's, I think, probably the most fearless uh, autobiography I've ever read. <laughs> well, actually, I'm quite frightened <laughs> talking about it um, and talking to, to you about it. But I've put who I am in it. That's who I am. Yeah. And if you've ever worked with Miriam, you want you might want to buy it. That's all I'm saying. Oh, uh, please. <laughs> On my knees, please. <laughs> because you're probably in it and you'll find out what Miriam thought of you. <laughs> will, will there be people who read the book who are surprised at what? You thought because you know if if an actor is difficult, you call them out in this book. You say, "I worked with them, and you know they didn't like me. I didn't like them." Uh, will people be surprised to find those things out? Some of them, maybe, <laughs> not all of them. Some of them are well known. <clears throat> I'm trying to control my yes, my please, words because yes. I know that it's breakfast time. Yes, no people people have children in the back of cars and things. I so, know. Yes, so when uh, that's the thing when you're on because you're coming on the TV show in a few weeks to. Uh, Oh, about. how lovely. I didn't know that. And, well, as far as I know, you are. Oh, I hope so. Well, I hope that's true. Yeah, because there's some, I mean, there are some stories in this, some great stories in this book that are not suitable for the radio. No, but, I uh, realise that. No, I'll just say some people are horrid. That's all right. You can say horrid, yeah. can't oh, you, you? Oh, we can say horrid all day long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, 
I always think it's weird in acting because, like, be, being in the theatre, being in acting, it should be just all roses. I mean, it's such a lovely job. It mostly is. You know, because you started as an actor. Yeah. I mean, you're much better now at what you do, but you were <laughs> actually quite a good actor. No but you're, But not as good as you are at this. This I is bet, brilliant. Yeah. Why don't I? But, um... Yes, I, I, I love most of the people I work with. I honestly do. Um, and tell me this, because I think this is interesting, what's happened to you is that you've become, you know, a personality. People now know you. They know Miriam Margulies and you do documentaries, you do travel documentaries. We see you, the woman. Has that made acting harder for you? I don't think it's made it harder because it's always hard, but... I don't do enough acting, and I, I, I'm grateful for being a personality, but I really want to be an actress. I want to move and surprise people and show them what it's like, what life is like through another person's eyes, which is what you do when you're acting. And that's what I really feel I should be doing. But I need to earn money, and people are more interested in me as me than they are in in me being someone else. I mean, that must be frustrating. I'm sure you... I know you love doing the travel documentaries and you're brilliant at them. I told you, you know, I think the way you... I love you, that. The I way you engage it. with people is brilliant. But it must be frustrating if you actually... I'd like to be wearing a corset. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I never want to be wearing a corset. <laughs> I have worn corsets, but now... And I remember when I was little, lacing mummy into corsets. You, you know, you. I used to have to stand behind her with all these things and pull them, pull them to enclose her capacious form and I don't have anybody to do that for me so corsets are out but no I I don't mind what I do I'm just glad I'm still working honestly at 80 you you think well how will anybody want me but they do and I'm so grateful um, you mentioned your your mother there, and because when I read this book, they sent me it as a you know, I don't know what they're called, like a, a PDF, just on a computer. They sent the book, and so I read it, and I didn't have the pictures in it. And some of these pictures, Miriam, are just joyful. There's a picture of you and your mom and dad walking along a seaside promenade, and it's you. The three of you look so in love with each other. It's just it's a gorgeous picture. Well, I was lucky. I had golden parents not everybody does and they gave me the background of of security and 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 they gave me fun they gave me everything and i think about them every single day and you know probably if mummy hadn't died i wouldn't have been able to stay with my partner because she would have overridden anything that wasn't to her liking and she wouldn't have liked me to have turned out Am I allowed to say the word gay on this programme? Gay, lesbian, go that, for it, that'll, yeah. That'll do, will yeah, it? Okay. Yeah, Virgin well, Radio Pride's been on there for months. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you you probably know, I'm gay, and probably most people do, but, but Mummy wouldn't have liked it. And when I told her, she really didn't like it, and I felt responsible because shortly after she had a stroke and I felt that I was maybe responsible for that stroke. Well, the stress, you were... I mean, the stress of it was, might have been responsible, but you weren't. And, and what was odd, because you've told me that before, so I had a vision of who your mother was, and I imagined she was quite conservative and straight-laced, and, and that wasn't her at all. She was incredibly liberal and a very... Yes, well, as I mentioned in my book, she she did the housework in the nude, and, <laughs> and that 
obviously it was a bit surprising for strangers and au pair girls and things like that. But, I mean, she didn't flaunt it. She just had the hoover and, and nothing else. <laughs> what was her logic behind doing the housework in the nude? I don't know that there was any logic. She just wanted to get on with it before too long had passed. So she didn't bother with the shower until afterwards. And then actually she bathed. I don't bath. I can't get out of a bath. Um, (laughs) So I shower. But um, Mummy was really clean. I don't want you to get the impression that she wasn't clean. Clearly she she loved cleaning the house. Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, But I'm not like that. I don't do that. (laughs) Or housework. But... Talking about it make, makes me happy because I remember her when she was in her prime and not um, when she had the stroke. And that's why I do a lot of work with the with the stroke organisation, the Stroke Association in England, because people who will know that when you had a when you have a stroke, your life changes completely. It closes down, and I want to prevent that as much as possible. Yeah. And in the, because you mentioned being 80, and I think often, you know, books like this, they are a nice way of kind of acknowledging the fact that you are 80 years old and, and looking back. Were you surprised by any of the kind of patterns or repeated things that you saw in your own life as you put it all down on paper? I don't know that I've had patterns. Everything's just come up and I've done it. You know, when... When it became possible to do documentaries, well, I never thought I would do documentaries. And then they just hurled hurled in at me. And I love it. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing more wonderful than asking strangers deeply personal questions. I've always done it. I've always asked people when was their first uh, sexual intercourse. And... um, (laughs) (laughs) Or... That kind of question. <laughs> that sort of thing, yeah. it's Don't you think it's interesting? But does it ever go wrong? No, it never goes wrong. Because people love talking about themselves. Just as I love sitting here talking to you. I'm really talking about myself. It's a shocking exhibition <laughs> of egoism. But I, 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 I acknowledge it. I know it's egotistical, but I love it. And what I, what I love things about your parents is that they made you sort of insanely confident. Yes, I am insanely confident. But <laughs> believe me, believe me, Graham, underneath I'm trembling with fright. Uh, it, it's always nerve-wracking being yourself. I, I find that hard. Yeah. So I, lo- I love talking about myself. I love exploring things. But I really want to talk about you and what you're doing and what your innermost thoughts are. You yada, see? yada, yada. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have more with Miriam Margulies, uh, the author of This Much Is True, after this. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. Miriam Margulies is my guest. This Much Is True is her autobiography. Uh, are there things you left out or d- is it all on the page? I've left out a few of the men I helped along the way, if you if you know what I mean. Yes. Um, some because they have living wives and I, I don't want to upset people. Um, and, uh, and also, I don't want to upset Heather because I, this was done not... I mean, a long time ago, but yes. when I knew her. Um, and I left out something that I'm quite ashamed of, actually. I shouldn't have left this out. I hit Mummy 
when she was paralysed because I was so frustrated and I, I couldn't bear that she couldn't talk and she couldn't move. And it was appalling that I did that. I have I have mentioned it to people, but I didn't I, I didn't put it in the book. I just forgot to put it in the book. And I want to castigate myself and remember that this happened. Yeah. And that's what happens sometimes to carers, however much they love the people they're looking after, that the irritation and frustration boils over. And I'm deeply ashamed of it, but I should acknowledge it. And also acknowledge, I guess, as you were saying, just how difficult it is to be a carer. It's incredibly difficult. And millions of people are doing it in England and there isn't enough money to help them. And people run away when there's illness in the house. You know, all the friends that my mother had, they disappeared once she was paralysed. That's the cruelty of illness and it's something people should remember. And people have been in touch. Steph McAllister was at your book launch at Ali Pally last night. Yes, it was lovely. I hope she enjoyed it. Were you in that beautiful theatre? The kind of I, it's indescribably beautiful. I've never been there before, and it was wonderful. I was there with Simon Callow, who is a good friend, and he was the interlocutor and asking me questions about my life and and, and the book. And it was a joyous occasion. And and I'd just been motored up from six hours in a car from Wales doing the film I'm doing at the moment. So I was a bit exhausted. But somehow, you know, that audience thing, I I was just exhilarated by it. Of course, because you haven't been in front of an audience for a long time. A long time. It must be, I mean, for actor, all actors, it must be great getting back in front of audiences. Oh, it's milk. It's milk. <laughs> it's glorious. It was, I, I was, I was elevated. Uh, but it was quite difficult to get me on the stage because I'm in a wheelchair because of, I've done something to my ankle. And poor Simon was labouring to get me on the stage. That's quite a steep ramp. It's quite a ramp, love. And he had a job. He had a job getting me up it. Yeah, but Steph, what she really wants to know is, what was it like slinging Arnie across the room in the film The End of Days? It was very satisfying. Uh, he was very cross because I farted. And, and then he farted. And he farted when I was on the ground and he farted in my face. Oh. I didn't fart in his face. So I've never quite forgiven him for that. Uh, Bryony in Devon uh, is asking about writing uh, the book. In order to kind of plan out your life, did you, did you organise it into different sections or did you just kind of go at it and see where you ended up? Yes, I think the latter is probably true. I just went at it and I phoned all my friends. I did it in Italy, so I, I wasn't in London. I was able to concentrate because I wasn't at home, uh, escaping from Covid, really. Yeah. And I I just wrote down everything that came into my head and then tried to organise it. And my editors helped me to organise. But they didn't write it. I wrote it. I'm responsible yeah. for every word. But did they come back and kind of go, oh, uh, we, you know, it'd be good to put some Harry Potter in or go, oh, we need something about Leonardo DiCaprio or, you know, that kind of thing. Were they pushing yes, in those? Yeah, exactly that kind of thing. They, they guided me to, to open my memory to things that I might have forgotten. Very wise. And were you, were you, as you typed the pages, were you handing them over to Heather to kind of, was she getting right of first refusal? Oh, no, she hasn't seen any of it yet. And I'm rather trembling. <laughs> I really am. Oh, Miriam, because it's out now. I mean, that's the thing. I think when I spoke to you about it before, I don't think it was published, but it's out in the world now. It is. It is. But she said to me, uh, I don't want you to write like doing a Graham Norton interview. <laughs> 
that's what she wrote. Well, it, those stories are in here too. <laughs> so they are. But but uh, but I I said this to you when I'm on the podcast. What's lovely is it's we have as a reader you have a different relationship with Miriam Margulies, and it's a really lovely one, and it's it's where you've got time to breathe and time to tell us longer stories and insightful things. I loved it. Really, really loved it. I'm so pleased you say that because I know that I can talk. I don't know that I can write. Well, I I think you write as you talk. You are, you know, really eloquent and it's... And also done in really nice bite-sized bits. No, not, you know, nothing outstays its welcome in this book. Gosh, well, that is a compliment. <laughs> Including you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the book is called This Much Is True. Mary Margulies, it is out now in hardback. Uh, we will release you back into the wild, uh, hobble-free, Miriam Margulies. Thank you so much for coming in to A see us. A joy to see you. Oh, darling. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. Right, time to sound the guest klaxon because we are greeting uh, top author and broadcaster, Mariella Frostop. Hello. Hello, Graham. Where's the klaxon? Oh, I know. I, I, I said sounded, but uh, there is no klaxon. <laughs> Just is in it, my head. It's in my head. <laughs> is it budget cuts again? Oh, for heaven's sakes. Not even a klaxon any longer. Do you know what I love? You said, um, if you've got any questions for Mariella, um, send them in. Start your message with the word virgin. And I'm here to talk about a book about menopause. <laughs> I just love the contrast, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yin and yang. All life is here, Mariella. Very few all, menopausal all... virgins, just saying. <laughs> Actually, that, that, there, must, oh, there must be some, though. Of course there will be. Yeah. There are those who eschew carnal activities for their whole lives. But that's probably not what people want to be hearing about on their Sunday mornings, is no, it? No. Now. <laughs> now, you've written this book, Cracking, Cracking the Menopause, uh, while keeping yourself together. It's written by you. And now, Alice, how are you saying her name? Smelly. Alice Smelly. Okay. She says it loud and proud herself. Okay. No, I, I, I know it's so juvenile. Juvenile of me. But I, I did like, beside Alice Smelly's book, there's a quote from Claudia Winkleman that says, I inhaled this book. <laughs> Do you know, I didn't notice that. That's too funny. <laughs> Alice will be chortling now. She's probably, well, I hope she's listening. Yes, yeah, well, I mean, I must say, there's something quite bold about kind of going, no, that's my surname. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm, go- we're one, of, I'm one of the smellies. And... What, what about, she only married into it, obviously. What? Uh, I, it's her husband, was her husband's name, but she's got three teenagers. And they're all smelly. That, that's hardcore. <laughs> that's hardcore. In fact, I'm going to shout out to them. Hello, smellies. <laughs> They're a fantastic family. Love them. The to Smelly pieces. Family. Okay, we'll stop there because this is ridiculous. We must stop talking about the Smelly Family. Uh, this book, Cracking the Menopause, because it is this weird thing that this is something that has happened or will happen to half the population of the world, and it is still shrouded in mystery. Do women, when they're alone, talk about it? Well, it is extraordinary. And um, yes, how can it still be shrouded in mystery after millennia? Um, Women talk about it more now than they used to. But I do think that um, there was a time when even women didn't speak about it to each other, to their friends. Such was the sort of loaded nature. I mean, and still women whispered to me about it rather than speak in in, in normal voices. You know, I'm just not sleeping very well at the moment. Do you think it could, might it be? Could it possibly? And you think, come on, just say it. Menopause. Yes, it could be. You know, it's going to happen, as you say, to 50% of it. I think 
think women do talk about it now much, much more and are relieved to feel uh, that we've reached a point in history, some may say very late in coming, where we can. But then again, if you look, as <laughs> as I had to cram in the process of writing this book, into the sort of mythology that's built up over the centuries, I'll give you just a very quick taste. Classical times, Aristotle, otherwise a very intelligent man, but he basically says that women are the wrong temperature. We're just too cold and that's why we have to bloodlet in order to try and equalise our temperature. And once that stops happening, well, we just go insane because it's just, we're freezing and we're cold. (laughs) So then medieval times, Albertus Magnus. Uh, Women were packed with poison, apparently. Absolutely packed with it. And when we stop having periods, we can't get the poison out and we can kill children by just looking at them. Wow. And then then it gets to the 19th century when you'd think there'd be a bit more enlightenment, dare I say, uh, at which point anyone with a womb is repulsive, insane, but worst of all, Graham, mad with lust for men. Of course. You know, you (laughs) just... It was it was a problem in Victorian times. Those women throwing themselves at men all the time. Repulsive middle-aged women, menopausal and hurling themselves at poor, you know, men, you know, trying to fight them off. I mean, you can see where the where it gets a bad press would be an understatement, wouldn't it? It would. And what's nice about your book is you Yes, you talk about the menopause, but you also talk about the other side of it and how kind of liberating and how, you know, it, it's a, it, your world is changed, but it's a change for the better. I think, you know, isn't it true in life that the things that you fear the most, once you actually have to confront them, you feel so much better and liberated. And I think that's true for men and women. And, you know, we live in quite an ageist society and so there's a real terror of ageing anyway and we're constantly committed to trying desperately to keep ourselves younger, which is a sort of losing battle. And I think menopause looms so large for so many women as something to fear that once you've gone through it and realised that actually, you know, the only thing that you can say goodbye to really is your period and that's quite a relief, frankly, having had them for way too many decades. It, it's, 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 a, it's a great feeling. And I think there's a sort of classic car analogy. You know, you buy a brand new car and it's, it's like, yeah, it drives really well and you don't have to worry about topping up the oil and blah, 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 but it's all a bit bland. Classic car, you do have to worry about it. You have to worry about <laughs> refueling. You have to take care of it and love it. But if you do do that, what a pleasure it brings. And I think, you know, that's sort of a bit like the menopause. Um, and the thing that struck me, because, you know, there's a, a section in the book where lots of women uh, describe their experiences of, of going through the menopause. Mm. And because, you know, you kind of think, oh, it must be like just the opposite of puberty. And in puberty, there are kind of rules. You know, these things happen to you in puberty and these happen, basically these things happen to everybody in puberty. But with menopause, it seems like there are no hard and fast rules. It affects people in so many different ways. Well, I just love you. You are such a new man, Graham Norton. And thank you for reading it so intensely. Um, It's true. I mean, I spent two years completely beside myself, unable to sleep. I mean, terrible insomnia uh, and terrible anxiety. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, the heart beating. I'd be worried about world peace and, you know, whether I'd put milk on the list for the shopping. (laughs) Am I going through the menopause, (laughs) Mario? Well, I'm just saying, some men say that it exists for men as well, not quite as catastrophically, I think, in in the hormones dropping. But, you know, the really 
you know, if I get on, on, on my soapbox about it, it's the fact that uh, it is so badly researched. The medical profession, it's such a lottery. I mean, there are fantastic GPs and experts and gynecologists out there. And then there are really terrible ones who walk in, who fob women off the whole time, who put them on antidepressants, who don't understand. Because uh, this is the thing that's unbelievable, Graham. It's going to affect 50% of the population. And if you're studying as a GP, it's not a su subject. It's not a proper subject that you have to cover. It's just one of the bits in the sort of fertility discussion. And and so, you know, you, you do maybe two hours on menopause. And wow. yet half, you know, and, and so, so it's a complete lottery as a woman. It depends what area you live in. It depends, uh, you know, culturally your background. It depends whether the doctor's in a good mood or a bad mood or is actually bothered to, to research it. You know, I mean, I, I, anecdotally, a woman said to me, she went to see her doctor and he said, um, yeah, you're probably menopausal. He said, but I don't rate HRT. And you're like, I don't care whether you rate it or not. <laughs> Just give it to me now. You know? um, and unfortunately, that's all too indicative of, of what happens to an awful lot of women. And that is, is in many ways, the real reason I wrote the book, because I just think, you know, we talk about equality, but it's, we're not in an equal society when, when you know, this thing that will impact and, and, and starts impacting on your life in your early 40s. Nobody told me that. You know, women start losing bone density. Uh, they get at the greater risk of heart disease. I mean, so many things as a result of this drop, catastrophic drop in hormones, which is what menopause is. And it's perimenopause that we should be talking about because that's the, the decade before. And so many women, you know, don't know that they can go and get help, don't know that they can do anything about it and end up, you know, in their 60s with osteoporosis because nobody said to them, you need to s supplement your, your, your hormone loss. Well, look, the book is called Cracking the Menopause. Well, keep yourself together by yourself and Alice Smelly. There, I said it without Don't a smirk. chuckle no, again. No, no laugh, no <laughs> laugh at all, just Alice Smelly. And uh, it really, if you know, if for any woman, it will take the fear away. It answers all the questions. We'll be talking to Marielle Frostrup some more after this uh, about her radio show and about her podcast. And uh, the book again, Cracking the Menopause While Keeping Yourself Together, available now in hardback. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. Hey, let's talk about your radio show. Uh, Times Radio, uh, you're on between one and four every Monday to Thursday. And I know you've done lots of radio shows, but have you ever done this before? A kind of stripped show, a regular gig like this? I no, is the <laughs> no is the short answer. And I think for about eight months, I was in deep shock and trauma. Well, having I mean, a job, you, having well, having exactly. I mean, it really it's like having not only a proper job but an all-consuming one. Where really, until you get used to it, you can't think about anything else. And you know, we had you know even greater not so much obstacles but challenges. You know, we're setting up a radio show absolutely from scratch in the in the middle of you know a sort of lockdown period, a pandemic. I mean, there was just so much to, to do and think about and so much energy to expend. But I can't tell you, Graham, and I think you probably have had this experience yourself. I just absolutely love it because I get to do... I get to talk about every single thing I'm interested in, not not just siloed into one, you know, Mariella on books or Mariella on movies or Mariella on politics or Mariella on women or, you know, it's everything all thrown into the pot and I think that's what's glorious about it and I just now I think I'm starting to have really good fun but now in the the thing about it that frightens me though is you you don't get to play a record do you 
No. <laughs> See, I love being able to just chuck a record on because if I had to just keep... I mean, I love talking. You Don't get me wrong. I, I'm mad about it. But, but if I had to keep talking for three hours, I don't, I'm not sure I could do that. Well, I tell you what, that's why we welcome when we have a guest like yourself who can manage to sit and talk for a bit and I can sit back and, and, and have, a, have a bit of a rest. In fact, Irish guests in general, big double tick, you know, I would say, uh, because there is something about the Irish that just makes them incredibly loquacious, you must agree. Well, but it's like, no, like birdsong. We, we talk just to hear ourselves. I mean, it doesn't matter what we're saying. We'll just ramble on. Yeah, Words. It's lovely. It's lovely. And really, when you've got a, a three hour show like that, you do think, thank heavens for the people who don't talk in sort of sound bites, because you just really don't want the sentence to end after only a couple of seconds. But yeah, it's a lot of talking. But then if you can pack three hours with tons of people that you're really interested in and news stories that you're fascinated by and every day is a little bit different there's a sort of an adrenaline to it as well that carries you through you know so I'd love to have the record but the record might I might sit back and relax too much I mean you really I sit on one of those saddle stools do you know what I mean like oh, beauticians use yeah to get, just to stop me from sort of sitting back and relaxing too much I'm like primed oh wow <laughs> I'm broadcasting from a lilo uh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> what in your pool, Graham? <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, sorry if you can hear the splashing. Yes, it's me. Uh, now, uh, Times Radio, it, you're now launching your own app. Um, we are well, well. There is a Times Radio app already, but but what they're doing is uh, they're they're launching uh, quite a few podcasts because there's so much good stuff uh, on the station in general. And though I hate to you know applaud myself, God forbid, um, there is some really really great stuff in my show. And one of the things I really enjoy is the fact that I get this half an hour every day to talk to incredible and interesting people uh, about their lives and work, like a sort of biographical um, interview and. It's at 2 p.m. every day, but then it plays out and that's it. You know, it's live radio. It's it's there and it's gone. And now they've given me the chance to package it up into a thing called Mariella Meets. And so I think we're kicking off. It, it drops tomorrow. I think that's the terminology, Graham. Oh, yeah. And, that, and I, yeah, that is. Podcasts get dropped. Yeah. Uh, so I'm dropping it tomorrow, which might sound careless, but that is what you say. <laughs> and um, and I think we're starting with um, Jude Law and Patsy Kensett, but we're going to have uh, at least one out every week. And I mean, I've just talked to some amazing people over over the last year and a half, you know, Patty Smith, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Gordon Brown, you know, brilliant scientists. You know, we, we sort of run the gamut of, of there's, there's nothing that we won't do in terms of who we'll talk to, so long as they're interesting. <laughs> uh, that's Mariella Well, we've done Meeks. you, actually. What am I talking well, about? I, You've been on I, as I, well. I was going to say, uh, hello, hello. Uh, and you were fantastic, <laughs> as always. Ah, and you were talking up. about one of your brilliant novels, um, which is the other thing, because people sort of might not know that you are a brilliant novelist. Oh, well, well, I've, I've got to stop you now, Mariella. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no, no, I must. I must. I must. Uh, let's remind everybody, Mariella Meets is the podcast, and that drops uh, tomorrow on the Times Radio app. The Your Times Radio show continues Monday to Thursday, 1 to 4. You're back in the building now, presumably, are you? I am back in the building, but I do, um, because of the fact that we've had this wonderful period of time, haven't we, where we've, uh, for some of us, those the lucky amongst us working from home has been at times a real pleasure. So I tend to do a bit of a mix, a bit from Somerset at home, where I am now speaking to you, oh, and, and a bit from London. I alternate, but, but we're in the studio a lot, you know, and actually it's quite nice, you know, I mean, doing a programme from home is really pleasant because you don't have to do the commute, obviously, on the train, but there's something quite energising about being, you know, it's that water cooler thing, 
isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Isn't what it? are people talking about? What are they yeah. saying? What should we be looking at in the program? You know, you you miss it when you don't do it at all. It is What's funny. Isn't you? It? Are you in the building? Home. You, yeah, I'm in the building because you can work different. You can work from home, but you work differently when you're in the studio, don't you? It's just a it's a it's a different it's a different vibe. It's a different and vibe. I think you get better idea. I mean, it, you know, the fact of the matter is that we are people who thrive on on on, on connecting with other people. You know, we're a species that likes you know that that is inspired by each other, and so you need to be amongst. I mean, that's the thing I think that we've missed out on most during the during the pandemic is just that the easy connections that you make. Not you know, of course, you keep in touch with your friends and your family, but but it's that side of the person you bump into on a dog walk and you have a chat and you think, oh, I never knew that, you know, <laughs> or in the pub. I'm not saying my life is entirely healthy. <laughs> if you if you say so, Mariella. Uh, <laughs> that's the radio show every Thursday and the podcast. At Cracking the Menopause is the book, and that's out in hardback now. Mariella Frostbuck, I could talk to you all day, but uh, we must get on. Uh, so thank you very much and good luck with everything. And thanks for joining us. Take care. Total pleasure. Thank you, Graham. <laughs> Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. We are joined by Mark Collison, show chef. Yay. <laughs> How are you? So nice to see you again. I'm very well, thank you. Uh, so today, uh, now what am I doing? I've got this here. So the, today is maple syrup. Mm. I have visions of you uh, making a dessert, but that mm. is not what you've made. I know. I thought I'd surprise you with something a little bit savoury mm. and a bit interesting because people, yeah, think that maple syrup is just for pancakes or just for desserts. But actually, it's very versatile so today i've done you a shredded duck salad with a maple vinaigrette dressing well smell you <laughs> uh, so now is this a is this a one of your uh, waitress specials where you put so, together some things or did you cook something <laughs> i did cook something oh, okay well, <laughs> i promise <laughs> what's, what's the cook so you got raw duck i mean well, okay well now now you're you're kind of calling me out again because oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you could do this with <laughs> Completely raw duck. <laughs> but why, I didn't why would you do that? <laughs> but comfy duck takes hours to cook well. Yeah, and if yeah. you want a nice, quick, throw-together salad, it's quite common to buy duck kind of halfway there. So you buy it comfy duck in the cold section and it only takes half an hour in the oven then. So oh, it's still see. being cooked. I promise oh, I switched oh. the oven on and I did put something in. <laughs> Excellent. Good, good, good. We'll be checking the electricity meter later. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so talk us through how you... How you put this together so you buy your your comfy duck in the freezer or the cold section yes yes and is that the first bit you do yep so that goes into the oven first takes about 25 to 30 minutes to get it nice and then the maple syrup comes in with the duck because with that crispy duck skin i just brush on a bit of maple syrup before it's coming out so it gets a nice little mapley crunch to it okay and but you then, don't do that at the beginning or would it burn if you... that would burn yeah okay so, you so... Wanna... Near the end. Okay. And then I'll talk to you a bit more about the dressing and the other bits and pieces. But it's a very colourful salad. I think particularly as we head into September and we're heading a bit more autumnal, this has got oranges, it's got pomegranates, it's got radishes. Get all the colours of the rainbow just so that it looks really appetising, I think. It's a nice salad to serve someone when they're expecting a boring salad and then you come out with this. <laughs> no, it does look delicious. And I'm sort of oh, thinking, because it's kale, mm. that's quite healthy, isn't it? I like to think so. <laughs> I mean, it's got some duck on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's kale, um, which, yeah, is a bit less common for a salad, but I quite like it because it doesn't go soggy. It keeps a bit of, of crunch. Um, yeah. And then there's kind of a special way to prepare it, which I will talk to you a little bit later about, to make sure it's not too too tough because we don't cook it it's raw okay well look i'll tell you what uh, let's play record while i scoff this and uh, 
and then uh, I'll give you my verdict and you can give us the uh, the technical details uh, after Pink and Who Knew. Martha Collison and her shredded duck with maple syrup vinaigrette after this. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. Oh. Uh, coffee by Steve Denyer, food by Martha Collison. Uh, I'm very happy now, <laughs> very, very happy, because I've wolfed down some shredded duck with maple syrup vinaigrette. So it's so the you glaze the duck. So mm. okay, so, so to talk us through um, what I've been eating. So yeah, yeah. So it's a kale-based salad. So we take the kale first. You want to kind of just tear it so that the stems are removed. So get rid of those woody yeah, bits. The, the you, chewy, the chewy stems. You don't stems. want to be gnawing no, on those. No, no, um, no. And then put that into a bowl. We're going to then put a little bit of oil on the kale, a tiny bit of salt, and then you want to massage it. So it's quite, you know, sensual salad. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to massage so, the kale. So actually, like, with your hands? Yeah, so you get your hands in there and just start rubbing it. And the kale is quite pr- cool because it changes colour from kind of that kind of dusty green in the packet to this quite vibrant green. So it looks like it's been cooked, but actually it's not. So you just rub in the oil and the salt and it just tenderises it a little bit so it's not as chewy. Well, I never knew that. Yeah, so get your hands yeah. in there. Wow. <laughs> and then I've made a little dressing just using some orange juice because there's some orange segments in there as well. Yeah, but just some the of the area. juice, a little bit of apple cider vinegar for some tanginess, a bit of olive oil and then the maple syrup which is kind of the key ingredient in this salad. I've used Waitrose sell two kinds of maple syrup, number one and number two. And this is number two. Number oh two. Goodness. It's called amber maple syrup and it's a little bit more bitter so it's not quite as sweet as the um, number one, the mild one. Okay. Because it means that you just, it doesn't overwhelm you with the sugar. You just get a nice little caramelised note, but it's not too sweet. Okay. And we were saying um, while the record's on, it's actually quite good, like it's quite economical because mm. your duck goes quite far because duck is quite tangy, strong flavour. So actually you can get away with shredding you know, not too much duck in your kale. Absolutely. You wouldn't need to, don't need to give everyone their own leg. And even if you've had a Chinese night before and you've got some leftover duck, check it in. Now you're talking. <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah, leftovers. Uh, but, and this seems like, this is one of those recipes, because of the radish and the pomegranates and everything, it looks so beautiful. And yet, no, not that hard. No, mm-hmm. it's deceptive. Yeah, the colours yeah. bring it to life. I love radishes. I've never really been that interested in them up until a year or so ago. But actually, they're they you're look growing so as a person, pretty. Martha. You're growing <laughs> as a person. I'm discovering new things. A- anything could go wrong in this. I guess it's the cooking the duck. Yeah, I guess so. But to be honest, you str- you'd struggle to go wrong there. It's so easy. <laughs> you say that, Martha. <laughs> you can do it, especially because it comes in its pre kind of pre cooked format. You yeah. should, just as long as your oven works, you'll be good. <laughs> so long as you remember to turn the oven on. Yeah. yeah. And not too high. And don't forget about the duck. It'll all be good. Uh, that is gorgeous, Martha. Thank you so much. Thank you and very much. Uh, if you'd like the recipe for the shredded duck with maple syrup vinegar, which is your recipe, isn't it? You it wrote... is, yeah, yeah. It is. I've got five maple syrup recipes in the weekend paper this week. Whoa! <laughs> Who knew you could do so much with maple syrup? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And there's pictures. Uh, if you want, if you want the recipe, you can go to the uh, Virgin Radio UK Instagram account and you tap on the link. You don't swipe up anymore. Don't even try. <laughs> uh, you tap on the link and that will take you to the recipe. Uh, Martha, I'll see you and eat something made by you next Saturday. Mm, yes. Have a great week. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. I'm back in the seat, so make sure you set your alarms for 9.30 on both Saturday and Sunday. And I'll catch you again next week. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.